I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The, re the religious leaders then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood are in me, and I am in them. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever, whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's very good to be with you this morning. And during these uh, last four weeks, going on five weeks, and next week will be six weeks, we've been slowly going through the sixth chapter of St. John. It's unusual to spend that much time in one chapter. But we've been hearing a lot about bread. It began four weeks ago, you'll remember, with Jesus feeding bread and fish to a crowd of 5,000. And then after that, he starts talking about bread, about how he himself is bread, is the bread of life. And he makes clear as he talks that God wants bread. Jesus wants to feed us at every level of our lives. He wants to feed us physically. If we're hungry, Jesus wants us to have food, wants to feed us spiritually, wants to feed us relationally, wants creation itself to be fed and nourished in these, in these smoky days of fire and floods. That's something we take to heart. So Jesus wants to feed us at every level of our lives with bread. And in today's gospel, he takes the next step. He uses language that we're very familiar with from the communion liturgy about take and eat. This is my body. This is my blood. But he talks about how uh, when Jesus feeds us, he also feeds us himself. He feeds us the bread of life. We consume Christ. We consume the, the power and the life and the grace of Christ. And as we consume his body, we become his body in the world. And so we go and do the things that Jesus does. We feed and we heal and we care for one another. I am the living bread, he said. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, they are in me and I am in them. You may know that in the early centuries of the Christian church, other religious groups sometimes speculated that Christians were cannibals. The words that Jesus was talking about really gives that impression, eat my flesh and drink my blood. They thought Christians were, were cannibals. But uh, over the centuries then, the Christian community itself sometimes debated what exactly did Jesus mean by that? What did exactly, what's going on when Jesus says, uh, eat my blood and, and drink my, eat, eat my flesh and drink my blood? In the 1500s, Martin Luther uh, explained how he sought, many of us will remember, us from, remember this from our study of the catechism, uh, Luther's small catechism and so forth. But Jesus talked, uh, Martin Luther talked about how Jesus is truly present. Jesus is really there in the bread and wine 
but he said it's a sacramental presence. It's a, he developed a new category. He said if you were to examine the bread and the wine that we will consume in a bit, if in our day we would say if you'd look at it with microscopes, it's still bread and wine, but now in, with, and under, all mixed into that is the very presence of Christ and the grace of Christ and the power of Christ and the spirit of Christ. That isn't necessarily a scientific explanation, but I think it makes sense to the heart. It makes sense to the spirit. Because what's going on, said Luther, is that we, we humans, we have a, a problem, we have a challenge, is that we, we, we want to believe in God, we do believe in God, but God is invisible. And that's generally too abstract for us. It's too difficult to hold on to, to really sense the presence of an invisible God. And so God chooses to come to us in invisible ways, tactile ways that we can see. Luther said, God comes to us, God appears to us in nature, looking at Mount Rainier or looking at the Olympics or seeing the waters flow down the river or seeing the, the trees of the forest wave in the air. God comes to us through creation, but Luther says God particularly comes to us through the sacraments, through the splash of water in baptism, but also particularly in the holy meal that we share, in the bread and the wine. We taste God, we sense God. And, said Luther, which is connected to our text this morning, and God and Christ become embodied in us. We meet Christ, we meet God in one another. It makes me think about a story told by Madeleine LaEngle, the author of a number of uh, short novels. Uh, a Wrinkle in Time was one of them. But in one of her journals, Madeleine talks about an actual event that happened with her four-year-old daughter. Uh, she was putting her daughter to bed one night. They lived in a big uh, wooden house on the East Coast, and it was a stormy night. <clears throat> so when she was putting her daughter to bed, the wind was howling and the house was creaking. And her daughter was quite afraid. She said, stay with me, mommy, stay with me. And so like a good mother, Madeline tucked her daughter in and laid down on the bed and told her stories and said prayers with her. And after about 20 minutes, she thought her daughter was falling asleep. So Madeline started to get up. But just as she was getting up, her daughter lurched forward and grabbed her wrist and said, no, mommy, don't go, I'm scared. And Madeline said to her daughter, but Jesus and the angels are with you. And her daughter said, I know that, Mommy, but I want someone with some flesh on them to hold on to. <laughs> we can feel so alone sometimes. We can feel so alone sometimes, not just children, but adults. The world is a scary place. We turn on the news and we see scary things happen and we know what's going on in our neighborhoods. The world is a scary place. And so we want to know that we're not alone. And we want someone we can hold on to and we want a God that we know is there. And so God does that in the sacraments. God does that as when God comes to us in intangible ways, and that's what we celebrate. 1,200 years before Luther, St. Augustine in the 300s, St. Augustine talked about it this way. He was um, presiding at a Sunday service. St. Augustine was presiding at a communion service on a Sunday morning. And he, just after he had blessed the bread and the wine, he held up the bread and the cup before the people and he said to his congregation, receive who you are, become what you eat. Now what was he talking about? Receive who you are, receive who you are. 
What he was saying, I think, is what is revealed in this meal and what Jesus reveals to us in this, in this text today is that, is that Christ fills you. Christ fills you. You are the body of Christ. The spirit of Christ, the divine presence of Christ, already dwells in you from the very moment of your birth. When you took your first breath, God breathed the holy breath into you even as God breathed into Adam when God formed Adam from the mud of the ground. From your very first breath, God breathed into you. And then when you, were bapt when you were baptized, the Holy Spirit was called to enter you and to fill you. God is present in you. Christ is present in you. And now in this meal, week after week, when we share the holy meal, it's what Jesus is saying. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, they are in me and I am in them. And so when you come to the meal, receive who you are. That's amazing enough by itself, just that statement, receive who you are. Most of us, most of us have a hard time seeing our own value or our own importance. We mostly see, no matter what we've managed to accomplish in a given week, we mostly see what we failed at or what we struggle with or what we can't do. We mostly see the things we lack. And so we often live that we are our own worst critics. And we constantly are judging ourselves. And we're certainly judging the people around us. And so we begin to treat ourselves as nothing. Or we, we, we worry that we are nothing. But this bread and this cup is offered to us, the very presence of Christ. And we are reminded, this, this is who you are. You are the beloved of God. You are God's dear ones. You are the ones in whom Christ dwells. Receive who you are. And then become what you eat. Become what you eat. What's St. Augustine getting at there? I think that what St. Augustine is saying is that we are Christ, and then we are invited, we are set free by the power of Christ within us to become more and more that body of Christ in the world, that body of Christ in the world. And that that changes how we live. And for example, it changes our table manners. Uh, we're talking about eating bread. Let's talk about table manners. That's a strange phrase, perhaps. But uh, in first century Palestine, your table manners, your table customs, namely who you ate with, uh, how you treated them at the table, and how you shared the food, your table, ma your table manners were one of the clearest expressions of who you valued and who you didn't value. Your clearest expression of who was worth something and who wasn't worth something. These days, on, uh, if you have a Facebook account, uh, we're accustomed to liking a person. We have to like someone before they're actually part of our circle, or they have to like us. Well, in first century Palestine, the major expression of, of who you liked and who you didn't like was, was your table manners. It was, it was the clearest expression of who you approved of and who you valued. So let me give you an example of two stories in the Gospels. They're both from uh, Luke chapter 14, where uh, Jesus comes not only to remind people of who they were, but uh, to remind people of, uh, of the best way to share the table with people. In our uh, Old Testament lesson, we heard about Lady Wisdom. Jesus is giving us uh, Sophia, giving us wisdom about how to live fully as God's people. So in Luke 14, John, uh, Jesus was having dinner at the home of a wealthy man, and Jesus just kind of sat there, and he looked around at who were the guests that that man had invited to dinner? The man had invited Jesus to dinner, but who all had Jesus invited? Who, who all had the host invited to dinner? 
And he noticed that generally the host had invited his own immediate family, but also apparently mostly uh, prominent people from the village, people of high standing, people of good reputation in the village. And that was a sensible thing to do. Because first century Palestine is, was what uh, sociologists call today an, an honor-shame society, that the primary focus, the primary dynamic of living life is that each person, each family, uh, wanted to avoid any shame to their family, any lowering of their standing. standing. But, and every family wanted to raise the honor, the reputation of their family. And so one of the key ways you did that was by inviting to your table people of high stature who would kind of add to the honor and to the reputation of your family. And so that was what the, his host was doing that day, inviting his own family and inviting prominent people. And seeing this, Jesus told his host something very radical. He said, when you invite guests to a dinner, this was the table manners he was teaching him, when you invite guests to the table, instead of just inviting your brothers and your sisters and your family and wealthy people and people of stature, uh, invite to the table the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you will be blessed, said Jesus. Invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Why was Jesus saying that? Was it just to uh, make, make an act of charity? Was it just to help out people who are suffering, give poor people a good, a good meal to eat? Well, that was part of it. That's certainly a good part of it. But Jesus was, was getting at something deeper than that. He was saying, if your custom is to only invite to your table people of value, people of worth, then, then get this. Uh, everyone, in God's eyes, everyone is a person of value. Everyone is a person of worth. We are all God's beloved. So if you want to invite people to your table, if you want to have a table full of the honored people of God, then invite everybody to your table. Who gets valued in our society today? And how do we express who's valued and who's welcome to the table? Maybe not so much about who we invite for dinner, although that's still part of it. But who gets valued uh, in our society today? Did you see the interesting article in the newspaper this last week about uh, the history of racism in Tacoma? That was the title of it, The History of Racism in Tacoma. Very interesting article. Uh, someone had done research in Tacoma Public Records. And back in the mid-1930s, uh, prominent leaders in the community, namely the bankers, particularly the bankers who were making mortgage loans, giving people loans to buy houses, and real estate people and business leaders, they, came, they met together and they uh, decided which neighborhoods uh, people of color could move into and which they couldn't, which neighborhoods houses could be bought by people of color and, which, and where they couldn't. It was, they said it was to protect uh, housing values. And so they began the practice of redlining. They actually took a map of Tacoma and they redlined neighborhoods that were for whites only. And then they blue-lined and green-lined other neighborhoods where there could be some mixture or some neighborhoods where it could be all people of color. They redlined where people could live or not. Our neighborhood here at, uh, at St. Mark's by the Narrows was a redlined district. In this neighborhood, no no people who weren't, weren't white could live back in those days and for many years to come. Who gets valued? Who gets valued in our 
in our society and who's welcome to the table and who's welcomed into the neighborhood. I want to say that I am glad to be part of a church body, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, that does not redline anybody out of from does not redline anybody from the neighborhood or not welcome anybody to the table. I'm glad I'm part of a denomination. We have our struggles. We have been in the process of learning. We still have we still have to become more and more. But as a denomination, I am glad that we are a denomination that welcomes beloved people, God's beloved people of every color, God's beloved people of every ethnic background, of every religious origin. We, back, we, we welcome people to the table and into our community, into our neighborhood, every gender, every sexual orientation, straight and gay and lesbian and transgender. We even welcome to the table people we don't, disagree, people we don't agree with on important issues. That's probably the hardest thing, that when we're passionate about things, it's hard to feel comfortable with people who we don't agree with. But we welcome, everybody is welcome. Everybody is God's beloved. And so to this table are welcomed Democrats and Republicans and Independents and transplanted Canadians, and everybody is welcome to the table. It's just that kind of a table. Some Christian groups define themselves by who they keep away from the table. I am grateful the Spirit has led us to define ourselves by who we welcome to the table. Second story, second story on Jesus teaching table manners, also from Luke 14. He noticed that when people were coming to the dinner that night, uh, people were jockeying and competing to get the most honored seats at the table. The most honored seats were always the seats right next to the host, up at the head table, right to the left and the right of the host. Everybody wanted to be there because, again, to, to, uh, to extend your own sense of honor in the village, to be able to sit in those honored seats was important. So people were all trying to get up there. And Jesus uh, said to his disciples as he was observing this, he said, pay attention. Pay attention to how you use your power and your privilege. Pay attention to how you, where you spend your time and your energy. If you're spending your time and your energy, if you're using your intelligence and your power simply to lift yourself up, he says, that's not, that's not what goes on at Christ's table. Rather, use your attention and your power and your privilege and your energy to, to lift others up, to raise others up. Sit at the foot of the table and give room for those who need to go up and sit at the head once in a while. And who knows, once in a while, you might even be called up to the places of honor yourself. So the table manners that Jesus teaches us are, one, everybody is a beloved of God, and therefore everybody is welcome to the table. And number two, pay attention to where you're spending your time, where you're devoting your life, how you're using your gifts and your power, and let that be a life in which you are lifting others up, in which you are bringing them to the table. Because that is finally what Christ calls us to, in all, these, in all these discussions about bread, Jesus wants people to be fed. People wants people to have enough food, wants people to have adequate respect, wants people to have adequate health care and family support, and all of that calls us together to be a family of God. So when you come up to this table in a few moments, receive who you are and become what you eat. For that is the gift 
that we receive in this meal because we are welcomed. We are welcomed as God's beloved. We are filled with the presence of Christ and we are set free to go out into the world to share that love and that joy and that justice with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.